0: All right, right, Second Chronicles 1, and we're going to go from 2 Chronicles 1 to Deuteronomy 17. So Second Chronicles 1 has four verses that tell us, um, we haven't been in 2 Chronicles very much. If you have been with us, we have looked at 1 Kings 1 and 2 and 3 and up to 4 last week, and now chapter 5 will be, Lord willing, uh, next week, and it... It'll we'll have more from Second Chronicles than we have had. But we have in second Chronicles um, just four verses, and then uh, most of my notes are from Deuteronomy seventeen. So we'll start here in Second Chronicles um, and I'll give you the title of the message at the end instead of at the beginning, all right? And I may help you help me uh, determine the title. so, Verse 14 of Second Chronicles 1, Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. There's a couple cities, uh, I, don't, I didn't write the cross references down, but the name of them in Hebrew means city of chariots or city of horses. And so you can, uh, you may have a cross reference in a study Bible that that tells you those. I can't remember the name of them, but um, so that he, there were a couple cities that were named for horse horse cities or village of horses, uh, city of chariots, and it was in the actual Hebrew title uh, for the name of the city. Uh, not many, but it it says that. Um, and then verse fifteen, the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephila. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Q. And the king's traders would buy them from Q for a price. They imported a chariot from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. Likewise, through them, uh, these were exported to all kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. All right. The Hittites and Syrians live north of Israel and Egypt obviously is south and they would have to go through Israel anyway to get the trade routes would go through Israel. So Solomon is going to control the trade routes and he's going to be importing and exporting and likely making a profit. Uh, So it's a business for him, but it's not just business because you can see how many he is gathering at the first uh, verse, verse 14 chariots. Horsemen, he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And um, another place uh, tells us that he had stalls uh, for all these, all these horses. All right. So the uh, exchange rate, we don't uh, deal with shekels. Uh, and shekels probably don't mean anything to us. So I did some calculations of how much a shekel is. And then how, what the price of silver is. And it's roughly $8.83 per shekel. So you multiply the numbers here by eight, $8.83. eight uh, You get about $1,300 for a horse. And then 5200 and some dollars for a chariot. Likely would cost you two horses plus the chariot itself. So you're buying two horses plus the chariot. That's So it's like a, a car. A a used car, obviously, um, is what a chariot uh, costs. And David, for cross-reference, and we don't, I don't, uh, we're not going to look at this, but David, when he would conquer chariots, he wouldn't keep them. Okay? Keep that in mind because of what we'll see in Deuteronomy. David conquered these people that had chariots. He hamstrung the chariot horses so they couldn't use them for warfare I think he maybe kept a hundred. Okay, nothing, nothing like this. Um, he didn't have chariot cities, and he didn't have horsemen. And uh, the the name Egypt is mentioned here. This is where they're getting their horses from. Is Egypt? Now, Egypt is known for their horses that are bigger and stronger than the Arabian horses. Arabian horses are faster. Uh, and smaller and not necessarily used for warfare so if you wanted warfare horses you'd have to go to egypt because they were the bigger stronger horses that you'd use for fighting in the battles for supplying your chariots and keep that in mind where they got the horses from egypt um, as we go back to deuteronomy 17 all right we're going to spend the rest of our time deuteronomy 17 So a question for us as we go back to Deuteronomy 17. Does Solomon know the truth that's in Deuteronomy 17? I'll let you. We're not told. But everything we know about how Solomon became king, he loved the Lord. He kept the statutes of God as David, his father, kept. We're going to assume that he absolutely does. Deuteronomy has mostly laws and statutes for the general public, but there is one section of Deuteronomy, this section we're going to look at, that is specifically given to kings. Now, when when Deuteronomy is written in 1400 BC, kings don't come along till after 1100 BC, so over 300 years later. But if we read Deuteronomy 17... There's an anticipation, I'm giving you these laws, God says, through Moses, an anticipation that someday you're going to want a king. And when you have kings, you're going to, these laws are going to what the kings have to abide by, okay? And as we look through Deuteronomy, ignorance, Solomon is not ignorant of Deuteronomy 17, because we'll see um, if he does what is expected of kings in Deuteronomy 17. Ignorance is not an excuse. He knew... This These rules, and he's, at least with the chariots, the horses, and where he gets them from, is a direct violation of Deuteronomy 17. All right, so we're in Deuteronomy 17, and we're going to look at verses 14 to 20. Deuteronomy 17, verse 14, if you have a title up above, it says, Laws Concerning Israel's Kings. This is unique because they don't have kings yet, and they're not going to have kings for 300 years. So, God gives laws in preparation for when you will have a king. And it says that here when you come to the land, because they're not in the promised land yet, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it, and you dwell in it, and there's security there, they've conquered the inhabitants of the land. And then say, after they've conquered the land, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. And if we go fast forward to when Samuel was governing, that's the exact words that the Israelites use. We want a king like the nations. God says, okay, that day is coming in Deuteronomy. When you may indeed set a king over you. Okay, so if you set a king over you, God's saying, Whom the Lord your God will choose. Okay, you don't choose your king. I'm going to choose your king for you. One from among your brothers you shall set. So you got to follow my rules for kings. Uh, You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. um, And you shall, um, who is not your brother. Verse 16, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people, so that's one facet of the command here, don't acquire many horses, or, and attached to this, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. They, in Egypt, had they have nothing good in Egypt that you need. Okay, And he mentions Egypt by name in this command when there would be kings 300 years later. Verse 17, he shall not acquire uh, many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Okay, we'll stop there. So the first point from these uh, four verses from Deuteronomy. God expects his leaders to recognize the problem of distrusting God. See, the king starts well. And we saw last week he started well and he obeyed the statutes because he loved the Lord as God. And there was an expectation from Deuteronomy that all of Israel is supposed to love the Lord. However, when you get a king, that king can cause your love for God to diminish and if the king is in love with god then he's going to obey the statutes especially the statutes written to him as king but he's going to look around at the nations if the nation if the nation of israel wants a king like the nations what's that mean they don't want god to rule them alone and so samuel warned the people two generations before you're going to get a king but you're you're going to get more than you want okay And he warned them. And then they had a bad king, Saul. They had a better king, David, although David still took uh, multiplied wives. He still disobeyed some of this. But David doesn't multiply horses and chariots. And as far as I can tell, Saul doesn't either. When Solomon becomes king, he knows this. Specific commands for Israel's kings, and he blatantly disobeys. Hold your hand here. I forgot to mention something back in Second Chronicles 1. So go back to 2 Chronicles 1, and a title up above 2 Chronicles 1, 14 to 17 shouldn't be there. It's not inspired, so we're going to change it in our, in our <laughs> minds. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you why, and you can probably guess why, all right? In 2 Chronicles 1, up above verse 14, you have a non-inspired title. It's not in the original. It's something that the translators and those compiling scripture thought would be helpful. Um, But what do you have as a title up above verse 14? Solomon given wealth. Solomon given wealth. Who are you going to expect at that? Who gives it to him? Okay, that's not true. Why is it not true? Because does it say in this passage that God is the one who's giving Solomon things that cause him to disobey God. That would be ridiculous. <laughs> God doesn't give Solomon all of these horses to make chariots and the horsemen. He also doesn't give him and show him where to get them from, Egypt. Why? Because scripture tells us he shouldn't have done it. So Solomon's not given this wealth. And if you look carefully at verse 14, Solomon gathered the chariots. Also, when it comes to the money, God doesn't give Solomon excessive gold and silver. Um, It says, verse 15, the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stone, or as we would say, gravel, okay? Okay. Gravel sits on our church parking lot and no one comes and says, oh, wow, look at this gravel. (laughs) Let's let's gather this gravel. No, but if gold or silver was sitting out on our parking lot, we'd be like, oh, why is that sitting there? I think we can make better use of it than sitting out um, as decor (laughs) for our landscaping. No, okay. But in Solomon's day, Solomon gathered so much gold and silver that that it was as common to us as gravel would be, okay? God didn't give it to him. Now, God gave David the silver and the gold, but David, we we were told, previous generation, why he collected silver and gold. Was it for himself? No, it was for the building of the temple. Question? So, verse 12, God says, I'm going to give you wealth, right? Right, right. So... As far as I can tell, the riches would have been possessions, but it, what he wasn't supposed to gather it and collect it and to make it a commodity. Now, he could have all kinds of other things, and he was wealthy in all other ways. But these two commands that were back in Deuteronomy, he was to avoid for the purpose of trusting in these two things. So what would excess of silver and gold do for Solomon. What would excessive gold and silver do for you? you can trust in right. Trust in your riches. And we'll see what script. the Old Testament says about that. So then if you have uh, chariots, what would excessive chariots and horsemen do for you militarily? Cause you to trust in your military might. Now, we're not Israel. We It's not wrong for us to gather fighter planes, uh, jets, uh, missiles, and defen- air defense systems, and tanks. Um, but if we were Israel, given the commands, it's, it's likely a cherry was similar to a, a modern-day tank, okay? If you're fighting against tanks with no tanks, who's got the advantage? <laughs> the people that have the tanks. Do we see that back in Judges? Deborah and Bayrak's story of Judges. They had 900 chariots in Canaan and Israel had zero chariots. And who won? Israel did. Why? Because God fought for them. This is part of their history. This is before, this is between the command of Deuteronomy 17 and Solomon disobeying the command in in our passage this morning. So let's go back to Deuteronomy 17. So disobeying God starts with small distrust. Gathering things that God specifically says don't gather them. It's one thing for God to give you things to use. And Solomon inherits all this gold and silver from his father. But all of that was laid aside for the perfect, for, for the what we'll see next week, for the, for the construction of the temple. It wasn't Solomon's money. It was God's money that Solomon's going to use to build the temple. Question? So... Solomon did the gathering on his own, and that was after God told him that he was going to give him possessions and all that. Right. So God still gave him the possessions, even though he disobeyed, mm. or of uh, the possessions, what he gathered. God would not diso- give Solomon something that caused Solomon to disobey God. We have to conclude that. God never gives us things that cause us to disobey his word. We aren't given an attractive neighbor to covet uh, or to be immoral with. Absolutely not. Okay, We have to be faithful to trust God. So God, though, can give Solomon a lot of other things. But when when the Bible says that Solomon gathered silver and gold and he gathers these horses and chariots and where he gathers them from, all are a violation of Deuteronomy 17. Now, everything else, all the other wealth that Solomon has, it's not disobeying God. It, it, it is God giving him. But the specific, we have to discern what, who, who is responsible for Solomon's distrust of God. God's not going to give Solomon something that clearly violates God's word. God is going to give him something that is in accordance with the promise, but never in violation to the word. So, God allowed him to gather. God allowed, he allowed, him, to gathered. Gathered. He allowed him to gather it. Right. What happened? Right. Right. So, we'll see the three things that Solomon wasn't supposed to get excessive amounts of, all for the purpose of him distrusting God or to stay faithful to God on the opposite side of it. So, he's got to trust God, Not don't be like the other kings. Even if you have the ability to gather things, uh, chariots, wives, um, and and money, don't gather those things. Don't have an excessive amount of them. And clearly Solomon does. Okay. So did Israel lose battles after this? Well, they don't have battles during Solomon's reign. Yep. But we'll see. <clears throat> we will see after the wives mentioned. We'll see God's. God's got a little judgment for Solomon. And definitely judgment for Rehoboam after Solomon. Okay, Let, let's keep reading Deuteronomy because there is more to. Someone should say something to him. What are you doing? Yes, right. You know, you're not obeying. Right. So, if we, as we know the how the kings, how the kings are laid out, and how many kings, prophets are sent to kings. Ahab gets Elijah. There's a lot of other prophets by name that we don't know as popular as Elijah and Elisha. But as kings are disobeying and distrusting God and, and doing things that are clearly in violation to the statute of the king, prophets are sent. Uh, Nathan the prophet went to David when he took Bathsheba. Um, prophets are going to come. They're going to challenge a lot of kings. Some of those prophets lose their lives because they're telling the kings. Um, but these three commands in particular are a sign of distrusting God. Um, And it starts small. It just seems like chariots and horses. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is it's in writing. The statutes of the Lord are written for the kings. They have to abide by these. All the other kings of the earth aren't under Deuteronomy 17. But Israel's kings are under Deuteronomy 17, and there's no excuse. So God's leader must not trust in anything like horses or chariots, Instead of God. let's read uh, you can join me or you can just uh, listen to Psalm 20. There are other there are other passages. this is just a sample to highlight what the rest of the Old Testament says about um, the problem of Israel in particular having horses and chariots. And as we have the rest of the Old Testament to look at, we can see why God gave the command. And why it was out of bounds for Solomon, even though all the other kings did it, even though he had the ability and the wealth and the trade routes, everything going for him, it doesn't give him a pass on what uh, Israel at that time could not have: horses and chariots. Psalm twenty, verse six, says, "Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed; he will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand." Some trust in chariots, and some in horses but we trust in the name of the lord our god they the other the nations that trust in chariots and horses they collapse and fall but we rise and stand upright verse 9 o oh lord save the king may he answer us when we call and if you look back at who wrote psalm 20 it's solomon's dad solomon has verse 20 or uh, psalm 20 all right and so Solomon knew, do not trust in chariots and horses. Okay, at, at best they are just uh, to parade your wealth and to a a, a public display of of power. Um, when you have days to celebrate your your kingdom and everything, you have your parade of chariots. At worst, but he puts them in chariot cities in a place that could be vulnerable to attack. He's trusting in them as a line of defense. Um, and that's what we saw back in in 2 Chronicles 1. So God's leader must not trust in anything like horses or chariots instead of God. They also must know the history of Deborah and Barak whenever they fought the Canaanites, 900 chariots of iron in Judges 4 and 5. Solomon knew Psalm 20. He also knew Judges 4 and 5. All right, so back in uh, Deuteronomy 17, verse um, 16, is what he is acquiring horses and returning to Egypt in order to acquire the horses, because Egypt had the military horses. Both of those are forbidden in Deuteronomy 17, 16, specifically to the kings. Let's uh, look at Isaiah 31. Isaiah 1 to 39 all give warnings of judgment coming upon Israel. And Isaiah 31 verse verses 1 to 3. Near the end of Israel's history, there as the Assyrians likely have already attacked and conquered the northern tribes, the southern tribes of Judah are starting to The southern tribe of Judah is starting to feel the pressure uh, of we're going to get attacked and conquered. And Isaiah gets revelation from God for these the the southern tribes and says to them in Isaiah 31, 1 to 3, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel. Or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers, against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, The helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. Wow, pretty clear. So it starts small. (laughs) Distrusting God starts small, but it doesn't stop with Solomon. It goes throughout the nation of Israel and Judah. And by the time we get to Isaiah, which lives 300 years after Solomon, we get to this warning To the Israelites, they have Deuteronomy, they have Psalm 20, they have a pattern, though, ingrained in their thinking is, we just have to get a better military. Instead, Isaiah says, no, you're trusting in the wrong place. Your military is not worth trusting. All right, so God's leader, and this is for the king, he is setting the direction of the kingdom. God's leader must not trust in anyone instead of God don't trust in Egyptians as well and that was because the Israelites left Egypt in Deuteronomy 17 is that's mentioned Isaiah 31 is like don't trust in Egypt to help save you in the future either God's leader must not trust in anything like wealth instead of God either Deuteronomy 17 17 the second part of verse 17 says don't acquire um, for himself the king excessive silver and gold. And if Solomon makes silver and gold as common as gravel, he obviously had an excessive amount in Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to assume that is a pretty good, pretty good guess. Um, Proverbs thirty verses eight and nine. Fascinating. Solomon writes this proverb. Uh, if if it if it is Solomon. Uh, there's uh, some debate as to um, no that it's not written by Solomon. The words of Adjur, the son of Jacob. So um, Solomon writes a lot of the proverbs, but not uh, not chapter thirty, uh, verses eight and nine of Proverbs thirty. He says, "Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me." Lest I be fool and deny you and say, who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So what would excessive riches do? Well, someone in Proverbs writes and says, when you have excessive wealth, you will be fool. You'll have everything you could ever want to buy. Anything money could buy for you. You will eventually deny God and say, who's the Lord? Why do we need God? Woe to us whenever we have so much money that we think, eh, I'll just buy my way out of trouble, and I won't, trust, I won't have to trust God. Israelites got to that place when Solomon was king, and their leader is not helpful in uh, gathering so much gold and silver that it's, it's like gravel. God's leader must not trust in anything like wealth instead of God. So military, um, like anything like horses and chariots of the day, anyone like the Egyptians, and then anything like wealth, all of those can be God replacements. Second part in Deuteronomy 17. So that's the problem to avoid. What's the solution that would help the kings to not fall into this um, temptation? God anticipates there's going to be kings. God anticipates the kings are going to want to have excessive wealth and wives and horses and chariots. So what's going to keep the kings faithful to God? Well, he tells them what to do in verse 18. And when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. Whoa! Have you looked at how much text of Scripture is is, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? It is a significant amount of your Bible. Moses writes more Scripture than Paul does. Um, The first five books of the Bible are very long. (laughs) And if you were, as a king, part of your rule near the beginning of it, likely— you had to copy by hand the first five books of the Bible. What's the purpose of that? Oh, it's long. You can see younger kings like, oh, man, why do I have to do this, Dad? Or the Levitical priests are overseeing it. So the priests are part of your kingly classes is to to write this. And it may take hours a day, weeks and months, if not years, to do this, Okay and it has to be approved. You can't sloppily do it. You can't skip anything. It's got to be approved by the Levitical priests. They have to judge your work. Why do you do that? Verse 19 tells us why. It shall be with him. The copy that you're going to handwrite is going to be part of in your kingly library, and you're going to have it with you. It also says you shall read it. It's not just a A trophy of what you accomplished in your classes. He shall read it all the days of his life. Solomon has the first five books of the Bible in writing, in his handwriting, and he's reading it every single day. It's accurate because the priest made sure it was accurate, and he's reading it all the time. He is reading, especially Deuteronomy 17 14 to 17. He knows what's in the word. He wrote it. He's reading it all the time. If he's not reading it, the prophets can say, hey, do you have those first five books that you wrote by hand? Oh, yeah. Why don't you look at this place because you're disobeying this about God. You're supposed to lead in a way that leads people, your people, to keep trusting in the Lord our God and keep Deuteronomy 6, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. So every single thing that you do so they had a lot of copies of the same thing basically right so they couldn't like send uh hand it down from generation to generation and not if they're obeying now there are times later that uh, joash or josiah the godly young kings when they start doing this they realize how uh, i think it's deuteronomy 28 and 29 that really rattles this young king and says oh no if this is true and we've written it A lot of the ungodly kings, they've done what was evil. Likely they didn't do this. Or if they did quickly, they didn't didn't do the reading every day Mm -hmm. of their life or to obey it. So why are they reading it? Verse 19. They're reading it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. I don't know if we have record of any kings actually doing this, but I'm assuming David and Solomon do. I'm not sure about Rehoboam. I'm not sure about the other kings. I'm assuming all the evil kings definitely don't do it. The godly kings may, um, if they're doing what was right. If you want to do what's right, God tells you how to, how to stay right with him. Generation after generation, every generation does this. Um, so the first thing, why they do this is they learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping and obeying the statutes, especially these statutes, these three things that are mentioned that Solomon doesn't obey any of them, but he at least probably has written them and he probably is reading them somewhat, (laughs) but he's not obeying and he's not fearing God. And we're going to see his heart is, is turning second thing. Let's keep reading. Uh, more reasons why the king does this verse 20 that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers so if you were in a the kingdom of Israel and you were godly and you watched your king be ungodly you'd say why doesn't he know Deuteronomy 17 why isn't he doing Deuteronomy 17 you could challenge your king definitely prophets had that um, priests should have been doing this right The king's heart can be naturally lifted up above his brother's. I am king. I'm exalted. I can do whatever I want. That's how kings of the earth think. That is not how godly kings think. Godly kings, knowing God's word, fearing God, don't lift themselves up in pride, thinking they're better than. The reason David took Bathsheba, he thought he was better than Uriah. You don't commit immorality like David does. And then sends the letter to in Uriah's hand to kill Uriah, and he knows Uriah's not even going to look at it. A God-fearing man serves a king who is not God-fearing. And so we have examples of how the fear of the Lord uh, doesn't can keep people from making foolish choices. And for a time, it does keep Solomon, But the gradual um, wealth accumulation of horses, where he gets the horses from, all in violation of this. And he is thinking over time, this is how our hearts are changed. I am better than those that I'm leading. We can't think this way as pastors. We can't think this way as parents. We can't think this way about anyone that we're in charge of as bosses. Uh, We just can't think this way. And Christians live differently than the world. Don't allow your heart to be proud and thinking that you're better than those you're leading. Uh, verse uh, 20 continues, some more reasons why he does this, reading God's word and obeying, that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left. And there is one way to obey the command. There is a multiple ways of disobeying, justifying disobeying God's commands. And we hear it as you challenge someone who's disobeying, they'll give you many reasons why they can't obey God's word. You're like, Okay, we, we can't accept any of those excuses. God's grace, God's power, God's spirit, uh, God's church, all of all these things together are allies for us as Christians so that we can't give an excuse. I I, I have to disobey. I can't, I can't live an obedient life. No, you don't. So the king is not to turn aside from walking after God. And then finally, verse uh, 20 ends with, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel, that Israel's going to be established, they're going to worship God together, they're going to obey God together, and if the king does this, uh, he's going to be promised a long kingdom, and uh, a stable kingdom that he's going to be able to pass on to his godly son, who's going to be able to pass on to his godly son, and so that Israel would stay in their promised land, given to them by God. So a long, prosperous life and a kingdom, and then pass that on to a stable a stable king, to a godly son, and the kingdom's going to stay in Israel. So application for us. You probably don't struggle with trusting horses and chariots. You're not thinking about, hmm, I should probably go, I should probably see how much a horse is going for in Egypt's uh, eBay, and yeah. uh, see how I can import uh, horses from uh, Egypt. You're not thinking that. But you may trust in medicine. You may trust in elections or political leaders that can give us laws. You may trust in the U.S. military. Look, we got the best military on the planet. Yeah, sure. Is that your trust, really, as Christians? And the list can go on and on. You can trust in those things instead of the Lord primarily. We also likely, when it, that, that was the military, trust or keeping us safe how about with finances? If you had a billion dollars in the bank, B, billion, would you be tempted to trust your money instead of God? What could that money do for you? Well, you we trust in our jobs. We trust in our savings account. We trust in our IRAs. We trust in a diversified portfolio in case anything bad can happen. We trust in real estate investments instead of trusting in the Lord. Now, it's not wrong to save for retirement. It's not wrong to have an IRA, uh, to have a paid-for house, or anything like that. It's not wrong to have a job. You should have a job. Right? But those things can. The more we accumulate and get excessive amounts of money in real estate and et cetera, it can turn your heart so that you end up being consumed with protecting all of your finances instead of obeying God's word, knowing God. The character of God is what keeps us safe. The character of God is what transforms us into the image of our Savior. What's your priority? If you are trusting in your portfolio, in our country's military, More than the character of your God, your priorities are off. My priorities are off. So what would God tell us? Return to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Repent of our idolatry. Putting our safety in something else. um, Our trust in something other than God. Trust Him with your present. Trust Him with your future. Recognize the little misplaced priorities in your life that end toward go toward and then that significantly are going to uh, discourage and cause your you to be disobedient and the generations after you to not trust in God either because these little misplaced priorities before long can become life dominating and you're not going to be able to um, help those that you lead to keep trusting in the Lord